So our first story is going to be by Level 100 Dragonite, and it's called I Tried on My Magic and Accidentally Summoned Satan. Everyone has done it. Done what, you may ask? Looking up how to do magic online out of curiosity after watching Harry Potter or wanting to see if it could ever be real. There are thousands of websites that look like they were high schoolers' final exam of website design with different kind of spells. In my opinion, life can be pretty mundane. You wake up, do your morning routine, get ready, and go to work. Come home, make dinner, do chores, watch TV, and go to bed. It's the same grueling hamster wheel day in, day out. Wouldn't it be cool if magic was real to give life a little bit of spice? That's what I thought, but I made a grave mistake. I live in a condo near the beach. It's a pretty comfy place to live with neighbors that barely make a peep, besides an older lady across the way named Susan. She would come outside daily in the morning and start singing. She wasn't very good. Eventually I learned to tune it out or play music to drown out that awful noise. I was never the person to be rude otherwise I would be telling her to shut the fuck up. Doing cybersecurity, it was a great gig. Mostly working from home, one day a week in the office to recap the week. We all know she has some excuse for free food every Friday. Todd was one of my good friends that worked at the same company. I usually don't see him often anymore. Today was pizza day and we all met in the open office room which always smelled like axe spray. It's most likely Steve, but I didn't want to be the one to tell him that it's a meme to use that type of cologne. Yo, Christian, it's been a while, you bitch. Todd approached me with his friendly observations. Retorting with a friendly smirk. It's been like one week. Are you that lonely? Todd, with a super loud laugh, smacked his hand under my shoulder and went for a special handshake. What you been up to, man? And, you know, just living life. Honestly, I've been so bored lately. This was our vanilla conversations, usually at work, but sometimes Todd would mention something out of pocket that he's been doing. Todd, putting his leg on the chair next to us, asked, Man, I've been looking up some crazy shit online. Do you believe in magic? Uh, you know that stuff isn't real, right? I laughed and shrugged off the question, but Todd was as serious as you could get. No, motherfucker, it's real. Sarah showed me recently. Come over to my place after this, I've got something to show you. This is one of the few times my stomach dropped as if my gut was trying to tell me something. The warning was primal, and yet I ignored it. One of the prettiest co-workers I've ever worked with approached the both of us. Sarah was blonde with brown eyes, one of those model type women the people would get whiplashes just trying to get a second look. Weirdly, she was mostly unaware of how beautiful she actually was. I think it was one of those things where she did know, but she didn't want to make it her personality, which I could respect. Christian? Todd? She looked at us with a slight smile, putting down her evening coffee on the table next to us. Sarah, we both sat in sync. Sometimes I swear we share the same brain cell. A couple of us are going to a bar downtown after. You guys want to come? Todd looked at me waiting for a response to manifest. I'm usually not a going out type of person, so at first, I already had the automatic response of, mm, I'm not really feeling it tonight. Todd chimed in, taking one step in front of me. What he means is, yes, we're happy to go out tonight. Sarah smiled, backing away. Great. See you guys at nine. Meet at Parker's bar. Okay, see you then. Todd turned to me, hitting me on my arm as she walked away. Come on, man. 
You said life has been boring, and it's Sarah. Let's have fun tonight, and I'll show you what I mentioned before tomorrow. Don't be a little bitch. Fine, fine. I dread public interactions with strangers. I'm more of an introvert, so being forced to go out felt like a chore. That night, we all met at Parker's Bar. It's one of the smallest bars downtown meant for socializing and getting drinks while pretending to be interesting. I saw Todd in the corner, one hand clenched on a beer, gesturing for me to come over. Hey guys, good to see you, said lightly, because the only person I came here for was Sarah. She had on this nice flower dress with a necklace that caught my eye. I never saw her wear before. It looked like a ruby with wings on sides covering most of it. The ruby had dark splotches here and there. Sarah, I really like your necklace. She turned to me, holding the necklace with her hand. Thanks, Christian. It's a gift from my grandmother before she passed. It's a family heirloom, I think. I didn't say much more that night. We all danced, did some shots, and had a good night enjoying the energy. Laying in bed, looking up at the ceiling with hands folded behind my head, I dreaded this instance. I wish life was better, I thought, before turning over for the night. The next day was quite busy. The company I'm in charge of had a couple of breaches, which was strange, but they're a nonprofit with valuable information. Where are they trying to get? I remember what Todd asked me yesterday and was super curious. Magic? If only. After my shift, I head over to his house. His place was really nice. He's a clean freak, so you wouldn't even see a speck of dirt on the floor. Paintings from different eras of history placed around each room, and you can smell Febreze at every instance. Yo, Todd. My voice echoed a ton. He didn't have any belongings in the living room, and he lived in abundance, but spiritually. In here, Todd waved from the room he was in. Going down the hallway, I could see flashes of red light flashing from where he was. Entering, I did not expect what I'd be seeing. Todd had made this satanic-looking circle with salt, four candles in each corner, and a TV just showing the color red. Uh, dude, what the fuck is this? I asked hesitantly. Todd looked at me with a dead expression. You said you were bored, so let's not be bored. Either that sounds like a fun time or famous last words. Alright. I sat slowly on his bed, crossed my arms while Todd explained what I was witnessing. So magic. It's real. Sarah mentioned this website There's different spells that you could do. It's not all bad things. Like The spell I'm doing says it'll make me lose weight quickly. I looked at Todd with a confused expression. Dude, I know you want to lose weight, but I highly doubt some random spell from the internet will help you do that. I know it's stupid, but what's the worst that can happen? Todd seemed to believe this would work. I think he was relying on it. After spending almost a year with different diets and exercising, he always resorted back to eating bad food and giving up. What's the worst that could happen? Todd showed me a printout of Latin words and instructions on how to do this spell. I decided to entertain it for him. The spell required a sort of sacrifice, which would be a physical object or something said out loud, like my next door neighbor's pet iguana. Okay, let's do this. Todd was exuberant, his eyes open wide, like tearing open presents on Christmas Day. To begin, one must name something they're sacrificing. Todd let out a giggle while rubbing his hands together. I'm going to sacrifice Steve. Come on, man, seriously, why Steve? I said cautiously while nervously laughing. Todd waved his hand in front of his nose horizontally. Do that guy reeks. There's not enough axe brain in the world to help him. I played along and took a peek at the next part. Okay, so next you have to recite these Latin words, I guess, and says five times. Then you have to 
put a drop of your blood in the middle of the circle. I don't think I like this anymore, but Todd was willing to do anything. Without hesitation, he sprang up and went right for the pocket knife he kept near his bed with gray army camo. Facio, Emo, Inclino, Improviso, Evito, Amido, Conversatio. His voice shaking with excitement. I covered my mouth and pulled up my phone. I had to record this so I can show him a year from now how dumb this is. Reaching over, Todd poked his finger over a small paper towel went to get the pain with the glint in his eye. I think he actually believes this will work. For his sake, I won't stop him, but he has to learn the hard way that losing weight is a process that involves discipline and hard work. Now you wait, and that's what we did. We waited. Thirty minutes went by and nothing extravagant happened. Well, I tried, what can I say? Tal walked out of the room to grab some cleaning supplies. I heard a subtle thump from what I consume as him hanging the wall, disappointed from the outcome. I'm sorry, Todd. I'm gonna head out. Are you okay? Yeah, man. All good. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. A few days went by, and I thought a couple of times about that day. What if magic was real? The implications would be astronomical. It was that next Friday, meeting up at the office, the energy seemed off. People had glum looks and for the most part were silent, some whispers here and there. Ironically, me being the keeping-to-myself kind of person, I yelled out to everyone, What's going on? Did someone die? Followed by a laugh to myself. Sarah ran over, motioning a gesture wanting me to keep it down. Christian, actually, someone did. My eyebrows furrowed with disbelief spreading throughout my face. What do you mean? Who died? Todd stood in the corner of the room, his hands covering his face. I ran over to him and crouched down in front of him to get some answers. Hey man, what's going on? What happened? It's all my fault. This is all my fault. Todd cried out, grabbing my shoulder. Steve is dead. He died in an accident a couple of days ago at home and they didn't find him till today. Bro, I did this. Todd, this has to be a gruesome coincidence. That dumb spell you did had nothing to do with it. He got up and walked away. It was a lot to process at the time. We all decided to cut the day short, everyone going home. The next day, Todd called me frantically, telling me to come over as soon as possible. I got to his place, and I could already sense something was different. Walking inside, I saw that red flashing light coming from his room. Entering the room, Todd was standing in front of the mirror with his shirt off, gripping his stomach. From the reflection alone, my heart started to beat like a drum. Yesterday, Todd was a good 300 pounds. Being 5'7", he carried it exactly how his body would. Today, he was at most 170 pounds. No loose skin, no stretch marks, no sign he was ever overweight. What the fuck? I whispered slowly, walking up to him. It fucking worked. That shit was real. Magic is real. Todd said with a straight face, tears in his eyes, doing different poses and grabbing his tight skin. Oh my fucking god, Steve is really dead because of me. He backed up slowly and ran to the bathroom to chuck up his breakfast. I didn't know how to react. I felt bad for Steve, but all I could think was that magic was real. This life isn't as mundane as I thought. Todd had to create this false reality of getting weight loss surgery and having to recover for two weeks. He didn't have many family and friends besides me, so he didn't have to lie much. I left after some time of calming him down and discussing the fact that the spell actually worked. In my journey of consuming knowledge as much as possible, my only thoughts were to look up more spells online. I remembered the website being called Intro to the Occult, so I searched for it. 
There were a ton of links for different occultist websites, but I ended up finding the one he had opened. There were so many spells, hundreds to scroll through, each with very specific instructions. What we learned that day is that it takes some time, but it does work. In parentheses at the bottom, results may vary, is written with a very small font. I put on Claire to in the background for some ambience before I got to work. There had to be a plan in place before I did any type of spell. Firstly, my room was pretty messy, so that had to change. Throwing all the big shit into my closet, clothes picked up and put on hangers, I was a little bit more ready to do something crazy. Clear room equals clear mind, right? Thankfully, I had a container of salt in the kitchen, so I didn't have to go anywhere. I very crudely drew the satanic circle that was shown on the website and set up some candles I already had in case a girl came over and I needed to make it romantic. The spell I chose was to be seen. A lot of the time, I'm always overlooked by everyone. Like, I'm not there. Never chosen for anything. Always feeling like a last resort. Not anymore. The important part of this was choosing what to sacrifice and knowing it'll actually be sacrificed. I won't choose a person like Todd, but it has to be something of significance. Here goes nothing, I uttered. Standing over the circle with each candle lit, I closed my eyes. I will sacrifice five years of my life. That was the best way I know I wouldn't hurt anyone, and that's five years I won't suffer. Win-win. Reciting the Latin words, there are about twenty of them, five times each. Thankfully, they were all easy to pronounce. I plucked my finger and aimed it at the paper towel I placed earlier in the center of the circle. Nothing felt different, per se. I guess I should have expected that. A week goes by and not a thing happened. Did I do it wrong? I was worried, but this was a whole new world I'd stepped into. Results came slowly. At first, I would feel people staring at me from inside their homes. Walking down my street from my break down work, I saw a couple of neighbors staring at me. Along the road, curtains would move slightly, followed by someone just looking at me. I looked straight ahead and just ignored it. The next Friday, entering the office felt like any other day. I was disappointed the spell didn't work, but hey, that's life and you move on. Hey Todd, I hadn't seen him since the day was over and he was recovering from a surgery. Wow, you look great, man. Did the surgery go well? Raising my voice intentionally so others could hear. Todd turned around and his eyes seemed dull. He stood there staring into my eyes without saying a word and walked away after 10 seconds. Todd? I was confused and honestly a little scared. He seemed to have lost a little more weight. His facial bones appeared to be more visual. When Todd had walked away, I saw that everyone in the office stopped to look at me too. All their faces, expressionless. Uh, hi everyone. Why is everyone looking at me? Not a single response. Their gaze held for as long as I stood there. I went to my boss's office to tell her I didn't feel too good that day and wanted to go home. Everything felt uncomfortable, even from walking down my street that day. My boss, Mary, sat there looking down at a couple folders. A lot of it was companies Steve was working with. Mary dropped her pen and stood up. Mary? All of a sudden, her eyes rolled back into her head and her jaw dropped about ten inches. What the fuck? I screamed and ran out of the office, booking it to my car. I never drove so fast in my life. Reaching my house, I was determined to find out what was happening. Searching the occult website, I found the spill I had done. Be seen results may vary. I don't think the results I wanted were reflecting in the real world. This can't be happening, what the fuck did I do? Everyone's literally looking at me. I'm seen, but that's not what I wanted. 
I just wanted to be acknowledged as a human being. I took a leave of absence at work and hadn't left my house in weeks. I ordered all of my groceries online and didn't interact with anyone in person. Over the phone, nothing happened. In person or a video call, the spell was active. To be seen is for everyone to see you, literally. Everyone would stop and look at me like I was one of the seven wonders of the world. Nowhere on the website was mentioned that you could reverse a spell. I realized as well that I had probably lost five years of my life. I need to figure this out. I called Todd to talk about all this magic stuff and to tell him what I had done. Hey Todd, how are you doing? I asked since the last day I saw him he didn't look well. I'm not good, he said with a frail and sickly voice. Nervously I clenched my phone, sweat starting to jerk from the top of my forehead. What's wrong? I haven't stopped losing weight, Chris, Todd said, dry coughing. I could hear him struggling to breathe. I screwed up too. I did a spell and now everyone keeps staring at me wherever I go. I can't leave my house. Todd remained silent over the phone. It seemed he was too weak to even respond. Dude, I have an idea. It's not a good idea, but it might work. What if we did a new spell, something to kind of override what we had done? Todd cleared his throat and managed to muster up a few words. Let's do it. I'm scared. Getting all the supplies from my place, I go to Todd's as quickly as I could. We had to stay in separate rooms so that he wasn't stuck staring at me. I set up everything for him and did so in the other room for myself. I found a spell called To Free. That's the closest I could find that sounded like it could save us from the other spells we did. Calling Todd on his phone from the other room, I started the countdown to begin. I figured we could do the spell at the same time. We had to think of something we were going to sacrifice. Todd forced himself to yell. I'm going to sacrifice my weight loss. I want my body back. Closing my eyes, I let outside that this will fix our mistakes. I'm going to sacrifice being seen. I want to go back to being unacknowledged. Todd tried his best to recite the Latin words for the spell. I moved at his pace. Both of us poked our fingers to draw the blood needed. This time the spell required a little bit more. About a teaspoon's worth to be exact. After we finished, I opened the door to go to Todd's room. Todd was on the floor convulsing with blood coming from his mouth. Todd! No, no, come on, man. I can't lose you like this. After what seemed like forever, he bottomed out. No pulse for sign of him being alive. I sat there, blood-stained and helpless. Then he began to cough and groaned as if he was just shot by a gun. You're alive? Holy fuck, I thought I lost you. Grabbing his head to give him the best hug I'd ever given to anyone. Todd asked while rubbing some blood off of his chin. What the fuck happened? You sound better. We did that spell and I think it fixed what we did. You think so? I really hope that's the case. I picked up Todd and he seemed to have the strength to walk again, although he was still in a state of being extremely skinny. We got to the living room and were met with an awful feeling that sent chills down my body. A voice echoed throughout the room, entering our very souls with each word. Hail Satan. Our next story is written by Strange Accounts, and it's called, Has Anyone Heard the Poem Called Clickety Clackety? Has anyone heard the poem called Clickety Clackety? I know it sounds silly, but has anyone ever heard the old poem about the clickety clackety? I don't know if it's just something that my small town kept alive or what, but I've been trying to do some research about it the last few weeks. 
I haven't come up with much and I'm looking for help. Honestly, at this point, I'm really begging for someone who has any information on this thing to step forward. But this is the poem I'm talking about. In these woods, there lives a puppet. It sits and watches all who pass. With eyes of coal and teeth of rust, with skin crackling full of crust. With wiry limbs as brittle as spent glass, it moves with a subtle creak and crass. So if you're ever in the woods and you see a puppet sitting near, do not look at it, no matter your fear. Just pretend you're okay. That's truly all I can say. In these woods, there lives a puppet. For some context, I live on the southern edge of Wisconsin. My family has always been pretty savvy when it comes to camping, and it was a big thing for my brother Paul and I growing up. We always have fun doing family camping trips. But flash forward 20 years and my parents have since passed on. There was a bad car accident and the loss hit us unexpectedly. So as a little remembrance trip, my brother and I had planned a final journey up into the woods that our family had frequented. It's up near the town of Clement, Wisconsin. It's where my family had always camped, but this time we were going a little deeper into the woods just to have a little extra privacy from the normal campground tenants. Plus, we were planning on getting a little drunk and didn't want any officers kicking us out. So we made our plans. We were going to meet up at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon in the parking lot of the Clement Park campgrounds, after which we'd head up north for a couple of hours. We found a pretty decent sized clearing through Google Maps and we wanted to check it out. After all was said and done, the plan was to head back to our cars on Sunday afternoon. It was just a dumb drunk grieving kind of weekend getaway. We both wanted to talk things through, but neither of us could be described as the types to go through armchair therapy. This is just how we handled things. But once Friday came around, things immediately went south. I had parked my car in the rundown dirt lot of Clement Park around 2.30pm. There were a few scattered cars of other campers littered about the dirt fields, but they held no one of note. In a way, I felt relieved that I wouldn't have to exchange pleasantries with any old family friends. But although I didn't see any familiar people, I did see familiar faces. The trees that had stood tall since I was a child remained in their proper places. They held on rebelliously firm to their plots and were left untouched by time. If anything, they had appeared larger to me that day. They had loomed over me with an intensity that I hadn't felt in years. Either they had grown larger, or I had felt that much smaller. With a deep breath, I took in the nostalgic smell of the cypress and pine trees that had filled the woods. It had always amazed me that memories could be triggered so heavily with scents. That smell of fresh trees and dirt had taken me back to simpler times of life, when you entrusted your whole being to the care of others, when you were so little that your parents had seemed unstoppable by the forces of nature. You felt carefree because your parents could protect you, and you never had to worry about yourself. Now that I was an adult, I knew the whole premise was faulty from the start. When death arrives, it arrives. It doesn't matter how much experience or wisdom you have. It has always and will always take what it wants. After a few minutes, I checked my phone and saw two unread texts from Paul. He wrote that he was going to be a few hours late due to work, but told me to just go ahead without him. He said he'd meet me at the clearing sometime in the evening. I remember feeling disappointed in him. I know it wasn't his fault. He had a rough job. 
But this was supposed to be our time together. Our time to bullshit and get everything off our chest. I knew that at the end of the day there was nothing I could do about it. I just thought, whatever, and kept moving about with our plans. I walked behind my rusted little Honda Civic and popped open the trunk. What was inside my beaten up little sedan was worth more to me than my entire life's work. Right in front of me lay the same beaten up rucksack that my dad had always taken with us. When he had passed, my brother and I found all of his camping gear still prepped and ready to go in his garage. At that point, we hadn't camped together for at least a decade. As a man, I'd held back tears when we found it. I think Paul did too. Hey, Dad, I remember saying as I picked up the heavy bag. We're going on another trip together. Paul will be here soon. I looked towards the dirt path leading deeper into the woods and knew it was going to be one hell of a trek forward. It was pretty well known in our town that the trees in Clement Woods weren't exactly easy to travel through. There were thick patches of dry rotted tree limbs that had tangled and knotted around each other. One bad foot placement and you'd end up snapping more than just a tree limb. With that in the back of my mind, I started my journey. The first thing you have to pass through is the standard campsites. They were full of beat up trailers and half assed tents. We call most of the trailers out here the regulars. They pretty much lived out there during the summers. They were good people, just a little odd. Once you got past all of them, you finally hit the start of the Clement Trail. It was less of a sanctioned path and more of a dusty foot trail. Years of fishermen coming and going had created the thin line of dirt that my family had enjoyed walking through for well over a decade. My brother and I walked down that exact path time and time again with our parents. It was basically a mile loop around a lake that happened to find itself surrounded by jack pines and red cedars that had made up the bulk of the Clements ecosystem. Past that was relatively untouched land. Now was it legal for us to camp out past the sanction areas? Probably not. But what conservation officer would head several hours into the wood on a hunch there might be some buffoons grieving out there? And so I pressed forward, continuing northbound into the depths of the tree line. Before I knew it, the Clement campgrounds were out of sight and out of mind. During my little hike, I used the sun as my marker and kept a good pace. I was actually a little ahead of schedule without having to keep pace with Paul. Incidentally, it was just over an hour of me walking due north that I started to notice something. There was this odd creaking noise coming off from the distance just behind me. It didn't sound like much of anything at first, just kind of like a tree cracking in the breeze. But when it kept happening, always the same distance away and always directly behind me, I started to get an odd feeling creeping up the back of my mind. Yet every time I turned around to look at whatever was making that noise, I'd see the gentle swaying of the green leaves overhead and the sand-colored trunks of the cedar trees. Nothing else. So every time I get that odd feeling running up my spine, I'd turn around, see nothing, then keep marching on. This happened over and over again. It wasn't until I got to the clearing that something else popped into my head. I hadn't heard a single bird call that entire walk. Besides from the creaking of the tree branches and the whistling of the wind, it was dead quiet. But once again, I pushed that out of my mind. I shifted my focus to setting up the campsite for Paul and I. The clearing we had chosen was perfect. It actually looked better in person than it did from the overhead view we had online. It was an almost perfect circle of grass surrounded by a dense wood line. You could see the sun overhead casting its dimming glow from just over top of the green canopy of the tree leaves. I relaxed my mind a bit now that I had gotten safely to our makeshift campsite. I went through the mental checklist of everything I had to prepare for the night. I started with the fire. 
I collected a few big stones that littered the forest floor and formed a little rock pit in the dead center of the clearing. Shortly after, I had made a big pile of dry firewood that I had found scattered across the ground. I did my best to fill the ad hoc fire pit with the best wood I could find and tried to spark the timber with my dad's fire starter. The fire sparked without a hitch. It was just in time for the evening sun to start cresting over the horizon. Even though I felt a little rushed setting up the camp on my own, there was something relaxing about focusing on a single task. I wish Paul was with me, but part of me needed some silence to sort out my own thoughts. The fire provided enough light for me to set up the three-man tent without issue. Before long, I was sitting by the fire, getting ready to open up our cooler and have a drink. That's when I finally got a text from my brother. Hey, just FYI, I just got here. I'll be up there in about two hours. I know a lot of you probably think hiking in the woods in the dark is stupid. You're right. We aren't the brightest tools in the shed, but we had an oversized ego of our capabilities. We've been hiking and camping on our own for so long that it felt like second nature to us. I just texted him back with a thumbs up and fished out a drink. I sat with my back against a broken cedar trunk near the fire and looked at my handiwork. Here's to you, Mama Dad, I muttered before having a sip of my drink. Before I knew it, the cans had gathered next to me and my eyes had gotten heavy. My eyes were half closed when I heard the same clicking noise I had heard earlier. It was just outside the clearing in the darkened wood line. My eyes drifted towards the edge of the trees and focused in on something directly across from me. There, in the darkness of the sunless forest, was a vague shape of something. It was barely noticeable in the shadows. It stood only about four foot tall and was facing me. I slowly leaned myself forward off the tree trunk. My eyes were fixated on the small dark figure. I was expecting it to turn and run away from me. It wouldn't have been the first time that I had been spooked by deer in the night. I thought to myself that at any second I'd hear the skittering of deer hooves trampling their way back into the woods. But that's not what happened. As my eyes were focusing on the little shape, it had started to walk towards me. And by walk, I mean walk. Even with it being casted in shadows, I could tell that it had the frame of a small child. It was deathly thin and gaunt, and it moved with a sense of weightlessness to it. The moment that it had passed into the camp's clearing, the fire licked its face with light. Even through my drunken eyes, I could see what it was. It was the face of an old wooden marionette doll. I felt my heart lurch up into my throat. My body had instantly skipped the fight-or-flight response and went straight into freeze. I couldn't even move the fingers on my hand. All I could do was watch and examine the puppet's features. The wood was old and weathered with cracks and chips layering its pale skin. The eyes themselves were dark and empty and the mouth was just a gaping hole, full of rusted metal false teeth. It had what appeared to be human hair matted over its wooden scalp. It was just staring at me. Time passed and it just kept staring. I worked up enough courage to slowly slide my hand towards my flashlight. I slowly aimed the bulb towards the thing at the edge of my camp and flipped a switch. Immediately the puppet shot its hands up in the air and jittered its way towards me. Loud popping and cracking of age void filled the campsite. Its feet had glided their way over the forest floor as if it were floating, its knees bounding high up into the air with every mocking step. The clattering sounds of wood on wood jangling in the empty void of the darkness still haunts me. I dropped my flashlight and fell into the fetal position, completely curled up, 
My subconscious told me I was already dead and my body had totally given up in response. I counted the seconds in my head, waiting for whatever nightmare I was about to experience to finally commence. But it didn't. I lay on the fourth floor and type all for god knows how many minutes, but eventually I worked up the courage to take a glance at my tormentor. Through my fingers, I peered into my campsite, praying that the thing would be gone. But the puppet was still there. It was now just halfway between the fire and me. The wind was blowing against its hardened skin, creaking its body ever so slightly against every gentle gust. Out of its mouth came a light clicking noise, almost like an infestation of woodworms all calling out. What do I do? I remember repeating to myself in my head. What do I do? Then I remembered that poem from when I was a child. I remembered what it said. Just pretend you're okay. So I slowly sat up and kept the puppet in my peripheral vision. It turned to face me again, but I did my best to pay it no attention. You're at camp. Act like you're at camp. I silently recited to myself. I noticed that the fires of the fire pit had begun to dim. I need to stock the pit again before the light went out completely. I looked over to the large stock of dry wood I had collected earlier, and I thanked God that I had been smart enough to make a pile before sitting down for the night. The timber couldn't have been more than 10 feet away from me, but when I went to take a step towards the dry wood, my legs nearly gave up from under me. I was shaking. Bad. I heard the puppet begin to creep its way back up behind me. Maybe it noticed my fear. Maybe it knew I wasn't acting right. My intuition was flaring up in my mind like red-hot coal that this thing wasn't just something I could run from. I had to play its game. Get the firewood. Don't acknowledge it. Just get I straightened myself out and walked as casually as I could over to the bundle of fallen tree limbs and branches. I picked up a large handful and turned around. The marionette was standing just behind me, its coal black eyes looking up at my face. The clicking noises that were escaping from its open mouth sent a nearly uncontrollable fear throughout my body, but I still pressed on. I walked in a straight line towards the fire pit, narrowly missing the wooden body of the doll. I took a knee down near the warm flames and dropped the wood down next to me. Handful by handful, I placed the branches into the pit. The creaking of the doll had made its way over to my side as I was stoking the flames. I glanced down at my thigh as the doll had placed its thin and rotted hand against me. At that moment, I wanted to jump up and run as far away as I could, but instead I ignored that feeling. I ignored it as tears welled up in my eyes. I took a stand near the fire and gathered my strength. I closed my eyes and took one last breath of the night air before walking over to the tent. As soon as I walked into it, I zipped the door closed behind me. I saw the silhouette of the puppet standing right on the other side of the plastic sheeting eliminated by the fire behind it. I finally cried. In hushed tones, I cried for as long as I could remember. I went to look for my cell phone to let my brother know not to come down there, to tell him to go back to his car and get the conservation officers out there as soon as they could. But when I reached for my pocket, it had hit me. I left my phone outside near the broken tree stump. I glanced back out to the shadow just outside of my tent. It was facing me. It felt like it could see me through the thin layer of fabric that lay between us. I tried to gather up my courage to walk outside my tent and grab my phone, but I just couldn't. I just sat there in the tent until I heard footsteps walking up to the campsite. Hey Jules, you up? I stayed silent as Paul called out to me. Sorry I was late, but- 
What the fuck is that? I heard the panic in Paul's voice. I watched a shadow play in the puppet turn to face Paul. Its arms and legs jerked violently in the air. Paul turned as fast as he could and ran out of the clearing. The puppet followed him with impossible speed. It glided its dangling and flailing limbs in the air as it began to give chase. Not even a full minute later, I heard a horrified yelp in complete silence. I stayed in the tent all night, numb, broken, defeated. I just continuously asked myself why I didn't say anything, why I didn't do anything. By the time morning came, I left the camp, picked up my phone, and tried dialing Paul over and over again, but there was never any answer. By the time morning came, I had left camp, picked up my phone, and tried dialing Paul over and over again. There was never an answer. I left everything I had bought in that exact spot. I never went back for it. I left those woods in a half days that I've never recovered from. Before I knew it, I was back in the campgrounds. I contacted the officers in charge of the area and they conducted a search. They refused to listen to anything I had to say about what I seen. But the thing is, they didn't just dismiss me like I was crazy. It was like they had already known what had happened and had refused to acknowledge it. We never found my brother, and I could never take another look in those woods either. I left the searching up to the police and local volunteers. But what I can do is ask a question. Does anyone know anything about the old clickety-clackety story? Our last story for this episode of No Sleep with Nita is by Vergasm, and it's called Do You Actually Believe in Ghosts? <sighs> I made a dismissive noise as if I wasn't afraid. Obviously I was. There was just the two of us, alone in that old abandoned house in the middle of the woods. Of course I don't. Then get a move on and set up the fucking board, pussy. Tyler said coolly over his shoulder, individually placing and lighting small black candles around the bare and dusty bedroom. It's almost the witching hour. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for fuck's sake. I unzipped my backpack and took out the spirit board before laying it flat in front of me, surrounding it with white candles and placing the glass on top. We know it's bullshit anyways. Who cares where I'm in it late? Are you going to be all sulky when Elvis doesn't show up to sing you a song? It's Halloween, dickbird. All Hallows Eve. If it was ever going to work, it would be tonight. With the room flickering in the dim light, we took our places facing each other on opposite ends of the board, placing our left hands on the glass. Fear tasted stale in there. Literally, I could taste the decay on my tongue. My biggest concern at that point was inhaling mold spores or catching my skin on a rusty nail and getting tetanus, or being devoured alive by one of the many giant spiders that had made their nests in the darkened corners which I cringed to look at. Sensing my impatient urgency, Taylor told me to just close my eyes and clear my mind, which I did, reluctantly. Anything to get this crazy shit show wrapped up so we could get back to Mike's party on the other side of town. I felt pretty damn stupid trespassing in that hellhole dressed as a pirate minus an eye patch. Tyler, on the other hand, was much more appropriately costumed with a spooky black hooded cloak and plastic gold pinnacle medallion, of which I hadn't stopped laughing at since I first saw him that evening. Why I ever let Tyler talk me into bailing and going there of all places, I'll never know. 
Morbid curiosity, perhaps? Maybe I just couldn't stand another minute of that dickhead Blake and his shitty fucking attitude. All drunk and ready to fight over nothing. I hoped he'd be gone or passed out by the time we made it back. Then I might actually have a chance to make some progress with Becca. She'd been particularly distant at Mike's, upset by all the drama. We sat in uncomfortable silence for a while. I honestly can't even say how long before Tyler finally felt it appropriate to speak. He'd let his voice flare as if he were the lead performer in some silly magic show. Spirits, we seek your presence. We seek your knowledge. Please come towards us. Another indeterminate moment of silent pass. Not even the wind whistling outside interjected. And Tyler tried his hand as a conjurer once more with the same over-the-top dramatic inflection. Spirit, please make yourself known. We seek your company. Can you let us know if you're here with us? Still nothing. Tyler glanced around in frustration, and I went to stand dumb with the whole thing. This is fucking stupid, Tyler. Let's go- Don't take your hand off the glass. The look on Tyler's face as we locked eyes was half of surprised amazement, and the other reserved dread. He gripped the back of my palm tighter, pressing it into the glass. I can feel it. The fuck are you talking about? I began before being cut off by something unseen. I felt it too. Like the air grew thicker, switching in an instant from the expected dry stillness of a dead home to the macabre miasmic odor of something else. Something else entirely. Like a burning garbage fire. Death. Tyler? What the fuck? Shh. Tyler shushed me drawing his free hand to his lips before motioning around the room with it. Listen. Then, as soon as he said it, I could hear it. A soft tapping, slowly traveling from one end of the ceiling to the other, right above us, steadily and with clear intent. It continued its slow circuit of flaps in what I assume was the attic, tracing us, going between Tyler and I, choosing. What is your name, spirit? The glass shuddered beneath our palms, and Tyler had to remind me again to keep my grip loose, which wasn't easy. I could see that he was opening his mouth, likely to ask the question again, but before he could speak, the glass began to slowly travel, letter by letter, across the spirit board, crawling like a bug. I barely even had my hand on it. Stifling the urge to run or to look away, I concentrated on the levels, scrawling them down as my fingers shook until the name was entirely spelled out. C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E Holy shit. We need to get the fuck out of here, Tyler. This isn't funny anymore. Come on. Tyler shushed me again, regaining his composure. He applied more desperate pressure onto my hand, urging me to stay. I could tell he was trying to recall the other questions he had prepared beforehand, but it was obvious he was about as terrified and astonished as I was. In a voice quivering through his intended confident tone, Tyler continued, now well beyond the flippancy of his initial theatrics, he spoke tentatively. Christine? The glass trembled and it was all I could do but to convince myself that it wasn't real, that none of it was. It couldn't be. A soft whimper escaped my lips, my eyes closing tightly in fear. Can you make yourself known to us? The silence was entirely deafening. 
as if it could even hear our twin shallow breathing anymore. Then, after an eternity, I found the courage to open my eyes. And there, in the far corner, I saw what could only be described as a corpse, hunched up with its mangled, bloody, and bruised legs contorted around itself and its broken, purple, pale arms twisted around the back of its head. The dead-eyed monster was staring me down, gawking with bulging white marbles between thick strands of sticky brown hair. Its wide open mouth was a gaping black hole, an abyss. Without a thought, I grabbed Tyler by the arms and pulled him through the open doorway, sending the glass tumbling in our wake as we rushed back down the creaking stairway and into a shitty red Corolla parked on the sidewalk. I didn't look back, but I couldn't stop screaming. As Tyler sped us away from the house, I found my ability to breathe lacking, let alone able to find the words to describe what was right there lurking just feet behind him through my shock. I'm not ashamed to say that I started crying right there in the passenger seat, weeping like an inconsolable lost child. Tyler was in the middle of calling me a slew of degrading names when suddenly the radio turned on inexplicably through no action of our own. Static made it impossible to decipher what was playing, but it was something slow and soothing. Soft jazz. Oldies. We simply stared into each other's stunned faces, frozen, until Tyler turned his attention to the road and launched into a screaming fit of his own. There it was, in the middle of the dark country lane, all contorted and bent in every unnatural way imaginable. The car screeched as Tyler frantically jerked at the wheel, and we went straight through a wooden barrier and over a ditch before coming to a smoking ruck stop among some trees, rolling several times in the chaos. We were upside down when I woke up. Tyler didn't. His face, I'll never forget it. All wet and red, utterly crushed. Dragging myself through the shattered windscreen, cutting my forearms as I shimmied through the opening. I cried out for help, but none came, and I felt myself slipping away. The dark of the woods grew increasingly opaque, like a heavy film covering my drooping eyes and I began to fall backwards into an onyx chasm of calm nothingness. The fluorescent hospital lights stung at first, but as my vision began to adjust, I took solace in the fact that the ordeal was over. I scrambled internally, trying to piece together what had happened to me. Then I saw it, crumpled up in the corner, staring my way without eyes, right through me. It was Tyler, his necrotic pulp of a face, leaked thick black sludge onto the blinding white hospital tiles beneath. Blacker than tar. Black like the abyss. And that is our episode of No Sleep with Nita. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. You can tell me how you felt about it. Um, if this is something that you guys would like me to continue doing going forward. And it's going to be put out as a weekly episode to everyone, not just Patreon subscribers. Um, just because it's technically podcast stuff, um, I just want to put out there. If you guys want to check us out on social media accounts, we have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Our Instagram is Devilish Podcast. Um, so Instagram.com slash Devilish Podcast. Our Twitter is underscore Devilish Pod. And our Facebook is facebook.com slash devilishpodcast. 
You can also find our website, devilishpodcast.squarespace.com, where, like I said before, there's a message form on there, so you can email us. Um, if there's any particular stories you want me to cover from our No Sleep, send me one. Like, send me a link, and I'll check it out, because, you know, give me some stuff to work with. I really love that stuff. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash devilishpodcast. And we haven't really posted too much stuff on there, but we're going to be recording some stuff to give you, um, if you decide to subscribe, to give you some, like, special stuff for you. You're loved, you matter, you're important. Inhale yourself. Bye!